right, everybody. Today's a special day because uh, we have a special guest with us today, and uh, you may or may not remember this. Maybe you haven't been here long enough, but back in 2015, a college freshman from OBU came and applied for youth ministry at Faith Co. Church, and uh, I remember I remember interviewing Peyton, and uh, I thought to him, you know, about five minutes into the interview, I'm, I'm thinking, I've We've got to hire this guy. He's he's 100%. And uh, he was he was our youth pastor here for, I believe, was it three or four years? Three years. And I was telling everybody that he was actually an incredible influence on Baylor, who is now uh, our youth minister at Faith Go Church. And now he pastors, in, uh, or youth pastors, in Colorado Springs. He's got a brand new baby. I, I thought I saw that baby here. His wife is here. So uh, will you welcome with me Peyton Rogers? Appreciate it. Hey, how about your pastor, though? Anybody appreciate Pastor Travis? Well, good morning. It is good to be with you. He kind of stole my thunder in the sense that I did. Uh, in the craziness of what is going on in the world, the last time uh, when I was with you guys, I had a little foster kiddo in my house, if you were here at that point, uh, and I brought up some illustration of the foster kid because if you have kids, you know that they bring up illustrations. So uh, if you're a parent here, you could be a preacher. You got plenty of illustrations. But I brought up our little foster kid, and since then, he's got to return to his home, but our house didn't get any less crazy because the foster son left, and we welcomed in our new son into the world, Andrew Judah Rogers. And so here is a picture of my family together. So here's us all. Uh, actually, the student, she's from Colorado Springs. She got us the little jersey to match because these two we wore when we got married. So Andrew's a part of the Rogers team now. And then uh, here's just some, I, I had to show you more pictures of him. I couldn't not. So uh, here's our pup with him. That's Wrigley. Uh, and they are just already buddies. Wrigley makes sure he is always okay. Uh, and then here's the last one because how could you not be obsessed with that? <laughs> So uh, that is Ander Judah for you. He is our bundle of joy. When people would tell me like, hey, Peyton, you're not going to understand how much love you're going to have for this little thing or the kind of love you're going to have for it. I'm like, man, I've loved a lot of people and a lot of things in my life, and I feel like I kind of understand what it's going to be like to love this little bundle of joy. And they were right. I had no idea. It's just a different kind of love when you welcome your own kid into the world. And so uh, that is our craziness that has been happening within our life. And our life went from crazy foster kid to now crazy changing poopy diapers and pee and all those things. So it hasn't stopped being crazy. Uh, and if you are, if you still read a newspaper these days, I don't know if you do, uh, but if you do and you were to pick up one of those things, the world that we live in doesn't cease to be crazy and people don't cease to be being doing evil things. Uh, if you are on your phone at all and you get on social media and you scroll through social media, you'll see that there's much things happening within this world that dumbfound you and maybe even break your heart and, and leave you a little broken over the state of the world. Or if you watch the news, just the other day watching the news, the news just makes me frustrated, it makes me mad, it makes me feel broken, all of these different emotions. But I also know that just what happens on news isn't the only craziness that's happening in our lives and isn't the only brokenness that we face in our life. I get the privilege and honor of being a pastor at the church that I'm at in Colorado Springs. And here's what I know. When I look into the congregation there at, uh, whether it's my students or whether it's our whole congregation, here's what I look into the eyes of. I look into the eyes of people who are facing financial burdens. 
I look into the eyes of people who they have kids that are wayward, that they, 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 they are gone, it seems like they're gone from the faith, they don't even have a care about Jesus. That I look at people who are having struggling marriages that one may be fighting for it and the other maybe not. I look at people who have some unwanted diagnosis or some unwanted health things that they're walking through, that there's people in frustrating jobs and seasons, there's people with loved ones who have just passed away, that within our congregation, uh, and within the global church as a whole, but looking at you now, I know that there's brokenness just within this room. There's difficulties that each of you face, and it's in these situations, it's in these broken times when we're being pressed with things of the world that we may begin to ask the question, is God even paying attention? Like, is this whole Jesus thing, is it even worth following? Like, does he even care about what's going on down here? Does he see what's happening in my life? Because it doesn't, sure doesn't feel like he's involving himself in it. Is following Jesus, is Christianity even worth it? And let's not put our church masks on and ask like, act like that doesn't happen. That we haven't asked that question before or maybe had some friends come to us and ask the question, is this whole thing even worth following? Like, my life seems like it's the worst it's ever been at since I've followed Jesus. And it becomes to that place. But if we're going to get in these uncomfortable spaces where you're not supposed to bring them up in in church, then let's at least sit in uncomfortable spaces with coffee. All right, so I don't know about you, but I personally love coffee. Now, lately, for like the past eight weeks, I've enjoyed the effects of coffee more than I ever have since uh, our child keeps us up sometimes at night. But uh, before then and now, I still enjoy different thing, not just the effects of coffee. I enjoy the flavors of coffee. I enjoy the smooth, uh, smooth warmness of coffee. I enjoy the enriched taste. And one of my favorite ways to make coffee is through a French press, all right? So you may not know what it is. You may just think I'm a coffee snob and a weirdo like millennial, but hey, you know what? Gotta own it. So uh, if I'm to take coffee, there's some roles that play within making a French press. First thing I have to do is I have to bring my beans and I have to grind down my beans to get the consistency I want to pour within my French press. And then also a part of it is I gotta boil the water to get it hot enough so that it can create, it can bring out the richness and nutrients and the flavor of that coffee. And then I have to pour it over the French press or my grinds within the French press. And then as I do that, I have to wait for a little bit. Like I gotta let it do its process and brew a little bit. And then it's not until I do the pressing that I get the desired outcome. It's in the pressing that gives me the desired outcome. That's when I get those, if you've ever seen on a package, that's where I get like, oh, I get the notes of chocolate. Or I get those flares of apricot. And the pressing gives me the desired outcome. And then that's when we would go ahead and we would pour and we would drink our coffee. But there's something I want you to note just about this process of coffee. It is the pressing that produces the desired outcome, that I can do the first four steps, or however many steps it is, to make my coffee, but if I don't press it, I'm not gonna get that which I desire. I'm gonna get bean water. But it's in the pressing that I get the, the flavors. It's in the pressing that I get those notes and those pockets and that smooth warmness. And when we look at this question, is Jesus really worth following? 
As a Christian, uh, well, let me just say this before I get into it. Today, I'm not really going to address this question, is Jesus worth following? Is Christianity worth it from somebody like who doesn't know Jesus? Like if you don't know Jesus in here today, still please listen up. But my question is going to be like, is salvation worth it? Or is just this whole Christianity thing worth it? No, I'm going to look at this from a believer's standpoint in the sense of like, is it worth it to stay the fight? Like, Paul says, fight the good fight, but is it worth it? Like, should I continue on? Is it really going to be what I need in this life? And so, as a believer, we don't usually ask this question, is Christianity worth it? Is Jesus worth following? We don't ask it when things are going good, when things are amazing, when, when we go to church and we feel just life from church, and when we go home and just everything is incredible, there's no issues with our marriage, there's no financial burdens, there's no struggles with our kids. Like, we don't ask it when things are going well. It's when we're being pressed that we begin to ask the question, is Christianity worth it? Is it something I really want to follow after? And so today, I want to talk to this question, is Christianity worth it? I want to talk to when we're facing trials, when we're facing afflictions, when we're facing difficulties, how can we still stay the course? How do we still fight the good fight? And so if you have your Bibles with me, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians Book of 2 Corinthians. It comes after, uh, really easy, 1 Corinthians. Um, and if you can't find it, look at the front of your Bible. Uh, for me, it's page 967, but I doubt it's that page for you. But we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians. Now, as you're turning there, uh, let me remind you of who wrote the book of 2 Corinthians. Does anybody know? Like extra spiritual points if you know? Paul. Okay, good. Baylor gets extra spiritual points. So, um, the, the, Paul writes this book. Now, of all people who have earned the right to say that Christianity is not worth it, it would be Paul. If anybody has the reason to toss the towel, to give up on Christianity and claim it wasn't worth it, it would be Paul. And he gives us pretty much every reason why he could give up at the end of 2 Corinthians. Here's what he says at the end of 2 Corinthians. He says, I've been worked incredibly hard. I've been in prison. I've been beat countless times, many of those times approaching death. I've been whipped. I've been beaten with rods. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked multiple times. I've faced the dangers of rivers. I've faced robbers. I've had oppressions from my own people and the Gentiles. I've had dangers in the city, the sea, and the wilderness. I've faced homelessness. I've had hunger and thirst. I've faced freezing and exposure to the weather and I faced anxiety. Like, I don't know about you, but most of those things I can't say have happened to me. I have not, well, I have not been beat countless times. I've not been shipwrecked. I've not faced the danger of rivers. I've not faced robbers. I haven't faced most of this list. So if anybody has the reason to give up on being a Christian, it was Paul. He has the grounds to say whether or not Christianity is worth it or it's just not worth it. Just go ahead and toss the towel. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 17 and 18. I want you to do something with me. Would everybody go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to read this. This is the word of the Lord. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look things not to that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And today we're going to look at one word through my preaching, and that's this, pressed. Pressed. That many, when I say the word pressed in here, you could think of a moment, a season, or even right now where you feel pressed. 
that you may be even asking the question, is Christianity worth it? And I want to encourage you today through the pressing, because through the pressing, we receive the desired outcome. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, you are good. God, you're mighty. God, thank you for your word. God, that you don't just speak to times of being good and our prosperity, but God, you speak to the seasons of life that are difficult when affliction faces us and we're walking through difficulties, when we're being pressed. And so God, I pray through this day, God, I pray through your word, God, that through the end of this, we'd be encouraged that through the pressing, there's something being produced and it's producing the desired outcome. God, would you encourage us today? It's in the power of Jesus that we can pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. You can take a seat. So the first thing, when we're looking at this word pressed, many of us, uh, when I say, like I said, when I say it, you can think of a season where you've been pressed, where you've asked maybe the question, is Christianity worth following? But when we're asking that question, is Christianity worth following? I think there's a question we have to ask before that. Because the seasons that we're asking, is Christianity worth following, are not the good seasons. It's the seasons that are rough. It's hard. It's difficult. We're facing affliction and trial. And so I think we have to step back one more point and ask ourselves the question, what is the pressing producing? Because if I can answer what it's producing in me, then I can say whether or not the pressing is worth it, whether or not just Christianity in general is worth it. And so we have to step back a state and say, what is the pressing producing? Because if we answer that, then we can answer the question, is Christianity really worth it? Is Jesus really worth following? And so when we look at how Paul lays this out, he gives us a perfect roadmap to facing affliction, hardness, difficulties within our life. And so we're actually going to take, before we talk about the, the producing, what our pressing is producing, we're going to even go back another step and say, what are we even pressed by? So if you're looking at the beginning of verse 17, what Paul said is this, for this light momentary affliction. Now affliction, just so we have that understanding, if I haven't already explained it enough, is it's oppression, it's trials, it's struggles, it's distress, it's opposition. And Paul, remember what he described at the end of 2 Corinthians 4, or not the end of 2 Corinthians 4, the end of 2 Corinthians, he describes his list of affliction that he's faced. And Paul says, hey, it's light and momentary. That's the two descriptors he uses. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't classify being shipwrecked multiple times and beat to the point of death as light or momentary. That is not light or momentary, but that's the words he chooses to describe. So let's hone in, let's break down these two words. The first one, light. If you're to look at Webster, he's saying it's small. It does not weigh much. So our affliction is light. I think we can have a better understanding that it's light when we look at what it is light compared to. Here's the first thing. It's light compared to what others are walking through. Now, I'm going to talk to you a little coded because of the seriousness of the situation that I'm about to give. It is light compared to what other believers are walking through within the world. I just got an email this week from some friends of ours that they deliver uh, good news. Okay, you kind of understand what I'm saying? And they deliver good news across the world, not where we are. And they had to flee the place that they deliver this news because they were bombed multiple times within the city. Listen, our affliction is light compared to what others are facing within the world. It's light. Our affliction is light compared to what we truly deserve. You may have heard the verse, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Let me explain that better, though, for you. For the wages, the things you earn 
for missing it, for messing up, for failing, for that little white lie you told, for the argument with your spouse, whatever it may be. The, the sin in your life, the wages of it is death. We're not just saying death passing from this life to the next. Paul is hitting a much greater death. It's a death that is eternal. It's a death that lasts forever. It's a death in the meaning of separation from God. And let me just, it's not, hell's not just fire and brimstones. Hell is that it is an eternal separation from God, which means an eternal separation from all things good, which means you're forever in the presence of all things evil. For the wages of your sin, what you deserve is death. Eternal presence in all things evil and separated from all things good. That our affliction is light compared to what we truly deserve. That our affliction is light compared to the blessings we receive. Even if things are going hard and we're in a hard season, there are still good blessings that we face every day. One of our foster kids, he came home one day and he said, Peyton, I heard something that you would really like. He said, somebody told me today, because I was having a bad day, he told me today that, hey, Today may not be a good day, but every day has something good about it. That even in your own life, there are blessings every day that you can look to, even if you're in what feels like the worst season of your life. That it is light compared to the blessings that we receive. That it is light compared to what Jesus suffered for us. So if you're a believer here in this room, you understand the story of how we obtain salvation, that it's only through Jesus. It's only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone that we can receive salvation. And what he went through is not fair. It is not fair what he walked through. It is not fair that he was turned on by one of his best friends, that he was beat, that he was ridiculed, that he was spit upon, that he was mocked, that he was crucified, that he was killed. And why was he for all this? For you and me. That's not fair. That you may be looking at your trial, your affliction, your situation right now and saying, man, why are bad things happening to good people? I'm a good person, God. I've been doing what you told me to do. Why are bad things happening to me, a good person? Well, here's the case. It's the story of the gospel that this, the best person who ever existed, had the worst things happen to him. It's light compared to what Jesus has went, what he has suffered for us. But here's also the truth in that. It is light compared to the sustaining work of our Savior. That his salvation is just as good for me today as the day that I received it. It's still just as good as me today as it will be tomorrow. That through his sustaining work, I'm able to go from grace to grace, from strength to strength, and from glory to glory, which is what Paul's going to move us to. That this light momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. That what you're facing is light compared to the glory that God is preparing for you. He goes on to say it's light, but then he says it's momentary. But for a moment, it's temporary. Even a long life, even a long trial, even affliction that feels like eternity is momentary compared to eternity. That even if your affliction began when you were young and you still face it today, that it is momentary compared to eternity. That Paul states our affliction is momentary, and, but this momentary may not be what we desire. See, often we treat affliction and our desire for it to end, like, and our patience for that to end is like that little kid waiting for Christmas, right? The patient and the attention span for them longing for Christmas is very short. Their patience is very, very short. They want Christmas to be here today. And when you get to that last week, I remember as a kid, the last week before Christmas, those seven days felt like eternity, right? In the same way, 
we want our afflictions to be gone just like they want Christmas to be here. We want our afflictions to be gone like this. That when Paul says momentary, that means in a moment. That means right now. That means it's here and then it's gone. That it may last a couple hours, maybe a day, and never longer than a week. That is what we want our affliction to end by. But Paul's not. He's saying momentary compared to eternity. That Paul, or that James, another writer in the New Testament, in James 4.14, he says this, but your life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. That, matter of fact, this next verb that Paul's about to use, preparing, is in a present tense. The word preparing is in a present tense. Therefore, that even if your affliction is long-lasting, it's ever-present, it lasts your whole life, it is still momentary compared to eternity. And remember, this is Paul. He's got a track list of things that he has walked through and went through, and many of them were not momentary. He was imprisoned years at a time. So Paul understands that the affliction can last a long season, but it is still momentary compared to eternity. And then Paul will go on to say, he said that for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That there's a preparation to produce. There's a preparation in what we're trying to produce. That in the same way with this, making a French press, there's a lot of steps that go into it, right? I've got to get my beans. I then, when I get my beans, I go ahead and get my water for my kettle, and I start the boil on my kettle. Then I grind my beans down. Then I put those grounds within the French press, and then I'm a little extra, so I take my boiling water. I need it to cool down a little bit. I don't want burnt beans. So Uh, I wait just a little bit, then I pour a little bit in. Then I want a high concentrate of that coffee with all those nutrients in it. So I give it a little stir before I even put all the water in it. I'm teaching you how to make a French press here. Uh, And then I pour and fill the rest of the way up. And then I let it brew for four minutes. I can do all of those things. I can do all of that preparation, but it's not until the pressing that I get the desired outcome. But there is some preparation that has to come for me to produce the desired outcome. In the same way in your own life, there has to be some preparation to produce the desired outcome. So the pressing, the hard things you're walking through your life is preparing for you something far greater than what they are. It's preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. But I can do everything else on that fresh press, but it's not till the pressing that I get that desired outcome. That you and I, we are pressed by affliction. But what are we pressed for? And here's what Paul says, that it is preparing for us. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We may be pressed by affliction, but we are pressed for glory. And notice Paul uses eternal weight. I want to break these two words down. See, when you start to break the Bible down, there's so much life to it. And when you look at the words that Paul uses, man, he's so particular about what he uses within this to create a greater meaning. So we know what eternal means. It's pretty a common understanding. It's, it means forever. There is no time stamp on it, but wait. He chooses wait. Now this word in the Greek is the same one used for burden. Like when, Rome, when in Romans chapter 9 when Paul says, I have a burden for my brothers and sisters who don't know Jesus that I would give up my eternity for their sake. He says, I have a burden for them. Same word used here. That when he says in Colossians, he says that we're to have a burden of the sin that we have done against our God. Same word used here. 
that when I think of the word burden, or when there's a burden upon me or a weight upon me, it's something that doesn't leave my mind. It feels ever-present. It floods my thought. It's, it channels my energy its way. It affects my actions. It captivates my life. And when you first hear the word burden or weight, you instantly assume that it's something negative behind it, that if I'm burdened with something, it's burdened for a negative sense. But Paul is very particular in the word he uses here. That let's first notice what the burden is made of, then let's come back to that word burden. That he said this is of glory, and it's eternal glory. And let me just describe this picture of eternal glory for you, because it gets me excited. That if you are a follower of Jesus in here, if you say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, then this is you on the day that you leave this life into the next. That we will be saved seeing the scars that represent our salvation. We will be children sitting in the presence of our Heavenly Father. We will be servants falling at the feet of our Master. We will be humbled throwing our crowns at our King's feet. We will be saints worshiping our God forever. We will be renewed experiencing God's glory in its fullness. Oh, what a day it will be. And Revelation, it describes this, it says, and the city has no need of sun or mood to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp is the lamb, that we will be experiencing the fullness of God's glory forever. This is the fullness of God's glory that no man has experienced on this world. That when we look at Elijah, he had to be hid behind the rock. That's where we get our hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. 1 Kings chapter 19, he has to hide behind the rock because God's glory cannot consume him. That nobody has ever experienced it in this world. That when we step into heaven, we get to experience the fullness of it. And then remember, it's the burden of eternal glory. So let's take what a burden was and let's attach it to this glory. This glory will never leave our mind. This glory will be ever-present. This glory will flood our thoughts. This glory will channel our energy. This will affect our actions. This glory will captivate our lives. It is a glory that will be all-encompassing and is beyond all comparison. That is what we're stepping into. That's what we're preparing for. That's what this pressing is being used for. That earlier we used Revelation 21, 23. John gives us even more to this earlier in Revelation. In 21, verses 3 through 4, he said, And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things. In other words, the things of the evilness of this world, the things that sin has caused, those things will pass away. Church, the glory will step into triumphs any affliction or pressing that this world will place upon us. It is so worth it. That the pain is worth it. The tears are worth it. The heartache is worth it. The pressing is worth it. And I grew up in Oklahoma. I grew up in Mustang. I played baseball growing up. And uh, I don't know if you played sports or if you worked outside in the Oklahoma summer. Compared to Colorado, it is not delightful. All right, it is hot. And I remember those days of playing a tournament at 100 degrees on a Saturday. 
And because it looked cool uh, and black looked cooler, I got black catching gear, which if you know what black does, uh, it attracts more sun. So I also grew my hair out. So that was dumb too, but I am hot. There is no, I mean, there's no shortage of sweat upon me. But my mom would always have me a Gatorade packed cold and ready to go. Now, for me, I love Gatorade just sitting on the couch watching the Cowboys win, go Pokes, uh, and we'll pray for the Sooners this year. Um, let's just say that. I love me some Gatorade doing that. That's like a drink of choice. But when it's the summer and I've caught for hours on end and there's no shortage of sweat, I don't just want a Gatorade. I desire a Gatorade. It has created a desire within me because of what I've went through to get it. In the same way, heaven is something that we enjoy thinking about. We like to think what we're gonna get to do with Jesus, what our mansion will look like, the streets of gold, and how they will glisten and glow. But when we are pressed, we have a far greater desire, and it prepares us for the day that we will step into this eternal weight of glory. That the pressing, remember, it produces what? The desired outcome. That we're pressed by affliction, but we're pressed for glory. The pressing produces the desired outcome. And then we get to verse 18, and Paul's going to create it, kind of give a summary of what he just said and how we apply this to our life. Verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That you and I, we're pressed by affliction, we're pressed for glory, and we're pressed with perspective. So often in our pressing, though, we can get this tunnel vision. The pastor at our church, he likes to say this. He'll frequently tell it to me or he'll tell it to our congregation. He often says that we can get so caught up looking at the tree in front of us that we miss the forest. I'm gonna kind of explain that for you. It's easy to get caught up looking at the tree or looking at the scene because the things that are seen or that tree in front of us, it's the things that are right here, right now. It's the things we're walking through. It's the things that are making Christianity seem not worth it, and it's hard not to focus on them. But Paul's saying, don't get caught up in this scene. I get that you're walking through affliction. I get that you're facing pain. I get there's difficulties in your life, but don't focus on those things. That's the scene. Focus on the unseen. Don't get caught up with the tree that you missed the forest. 